Welcome to Practical Access. I am Lisa DeKerr. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And Lisa, I'm looking forward to today's question that we're going to discuss. That is... Well, so someone asked a great question that I, I'm curious to hear the answer to myself. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into you first, my friend. Um, mm -hmm. It was, uh, how do I help my, my child with a disability or student uh, who gives up really quickly learn to persevere? I was like, well, I'd like to know that answer for humans, period, let alone for kids with disabilities. <laughs> I know it's interesting because you know there's been so much these last couple of years about that word grit, which I think really speaks to the whole perseverance piece. And you know, what do we do that lets us um, see and learn? You know, how to stick with something until until we get the results that we want. Um, my first thought is is a simple one, and I don't know if I've stated it in our podcast before. But it all starts with task completion. And a lot of times we, we are bad about thinking that people are going to go from zero to 100 in anything. Yeah, yeah. And so, so when somebody realizes they're not going to reach that 100, they just give up because it seems too far away. So this idea of being really hyper-focused on small tasks and building up to the big outcome. And I think sometimes in schools in particular, but also some parents do this, when we reward kids, like for every little task, or we say, hey, when you earn X amount of this, you're gonna get this one big thing. I think that also doesn't necessarily help train for the perseverance because perseverance is, is an internal locus of control. It's not external. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to start thinking in terms of small tasks and the worse the problem, the shorter the interval of the task. So let's just say, you know, I'm, I'm working with or talking to my own child or another, another kid. And I, for example, <clears throat> trying to get them to do something like clean their room and their, their room is terrible and I never can get them to clean their room. I literally might start with, Hey, I need you to start, I need you to bring me all the glasses in your room. <laughs> if that sounds like it's personal example, it is. And this is really small scale. But if I can just get them to start doing that one piece and I say, hey, that's really helpful, thanks. Then I'm rewarding that next piece. And that once they feel successful at any piece of the task, we start to make progress. So I know that's a really basic, basic example, but in the classroom, that looks like really breaking things down into really small pieces and just verbally coaching and reinforcing. And it also, it also recognizes that sometimes kids might not meet that the first time, but continuing to go back to it and back to it, back to it. I have a really big scale example, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say yeah, about the topic. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head, first of all, with grit and internal locus of control. And I think sometimes we, we as parents and we as teachers uh, downplay the ability for kids to control themselves because of their disability. Oh, poor 
uh, and you know, I'll make that personal. Oh, well, he has this, right? And that's easy to do. I'm I'm gonna guilty as charged to make excuses for your kiddo based on their disability. Um, or for your students, but I think what we have to do is two things. One, know what they're really interested in. And I think sometimes as parents, we think it would be great to enroll you in the painting class and your kid eats paint. Okay, maybe that wasn't where they, where they wanted to go in the first place. And so um, I think it, when it's an internal locus of control or perseverance, it has to be something you want or something you can see will help you in the future. So sometimes it may be not something you want, but something that I can say to you, look, I know you someday you'd like to go to college. What would you want to do? I know someday you want to have friends. What do you want to do? I know you might like to have a clean room, but you don't know how to do it. And so I, I like the word macro and micro when I think of perseverance. You know, what's the big future? And for most kids, it's three. You know, uh, it isn't going to college. It's I would like to have a friend or play outside. But when kids get 16, 17, and 18, that can kind of be a motivator. But I often think we give a macro goal but we forget, like you said, the little micro steps. Like if you want to have a friend, you first of all have to be willing to say hello to somebody. Um, you also have to be willing to be nice to them when you see them and biting and kicking or whatever it is. And so I think we often confuse perseverance with the uh, not having a, a, a or having like a fixed mindset. Well, if you have this disability, you can't go somewhere. If you always look at your kid as having a growth mindset, whether it's a teacher or a parent, and say, yes, growth, but growth requires small steps, those micro steps, but always having a macro goal. And I think too many times for kids with disabilities, we just look into the next day. Like if I can just get them out of bed and brush their teeth, that's really great. But I would like to not have you have to go to the dentist so often. So let's get to brushing your teeth. What's those long-term goals? Why do we want them out of the bed? Why do you want to brush their teeth? Because we want them to go to school, get on the bus and not have to have, you know, cavities pulled and be in pain at the dentist all the time. And I think those are the kinds of conversations we often don't have. So that's, that's some of my beginning thoughts. I, uh, I think those are, that's a good, that's a good example. Um, I think as, as teachers and, and parents, one of the critical things we can do too is to really model failure. So specifically, I know in my own case, because I, you know, taught in a self-contained classroom, I taught with kids with some, you know, high, high needs, um, and who struggled and who didn't feel very good about themselves because success seemed out of reach for them in a lot of ways. And it's pretty early on in the school system that some kids begin to feel as though they are failures. So when you feel like you're a failure, you don't necessarily want to persevere with anything because you don't want the outcome to be that you fail one more time. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of think alouds and I did a lot of modeling failure. I would literally do things like, oh, I'm going to put this, you know, um, 3D model together. Oh, you know, I can't understand these instructions. Wow, I don't even know which piece goes where. Hey, this doesn't look very I'm going to put it down and I'm going to come back to it with a clear head in a few minutes. And I would model to them like getting stuck, getting stuck, getting stuck, not being able to do it. And then I would come back to it and say, now I feel a little bit better this again. Hey, can anybody help me with this? So I did a lot of really intentional think alouds. I did it also, even when I was a gen ed teacher and also an inclusion teacher um i would just do any little thing any any little um you know i would 
be drawing something on the board and my drawing is so bad and I'd be like, oh, you guys probably can't tell me, so let me try it again. <laughs> hey, you probably don't know what I'm doing up here. Let me try it again. And that try again mindset, that is the growth mindset. But if some kids don't see that modeled, they're not going to understand that it's okay to keep trying again and again. Yeah, and I love your discussion there about, you know, approximation of practice, that you can't be perfect the first time. Uh, that's how we, you know, I hate to tell you, but the first year as a teacher, I probably should have been sued. Um, some of you out there that are first year teachers, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, and I think that's what perseverance is about, is, is making those mistakes. I think my, my little last tidbit of, of advice is something that we do with the parents. Uh, we have this great opportunity for those of you who don't know on the podcast to work with usually um, 25 young uh, kindergartners and first graders with Down syndrome and then we have the chance to talk to their parents. And boy, if you ever want to uh, be A, perfectly exhausted and uh, fulfilled at the same time, go hang out with us some Saturday. But what's interesting is one of the things we have those parents do is uh, make a vision board. And in the vision board, we have them make, um, we actually focus on three things. Uh, one, their children are five what do they see as their future college and career, which they kind of look at us like, are you crazy? The second thing we do is then we talk about where do they want to go financially. And the third one is what do they think the future is for their child socially and emotionally? And again, I think it's great to start to say, you know, yeah, my child might need group home, might need assisted living. They might be able to live on their own, but what do we need to do today to get them there? Well, we know if they're going to live on their own, they certainly have to learn to put their own socks and shoes on. And I think we often think of adults doing that, but we don't often to do that with students. So we hope those were some great ideas you like, and uh, we look forward to talking to you or having you listen to our next podcast uh, that will be coming up here in just uh, in a couple of days focused on Twice Exceptional. Thanks for joining us, and uh, please send us any tweets at Access Practical.